Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who always keeps her buccaneers under her bucking hat. It's Lydia. I'm surprised you didn't comment on my booty. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, (laughs) it's good to be here, Christopher. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited (laughs) to talk about this month's film, that's for sure. Yes, me as well. There's a a lot of uh, indiscrepancy to talk about. (laughs) Wait, discrepancy. Woo! (laughs) Well, before we go any further, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate it. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to the podcasts. And please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. If you're a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join. And this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next. And it's an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. We have a YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the show. Just go to YouTube.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can find all these places by following the link in the show notes or by visiting orphanedentertainment.com. Let's listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we take to the high seas and sail with 1945's Captain Kidd. Another five-minute mystery. strange country of Tibet, where ghostly ruins of an ancient temple rise forebodingly to the midnight sky. In a lonely native hut not far from the temple, a woman nervously paces the hard earthen floor. Her eyes speak terror. Suddenly... Mr. Dixon, you are Mr. Dixon. I came as quickly as I could, Mrs. Dorman. Your coolie directed me here from Lahasa. I had to send for you, Mr. Dixon. I didn't know if another American except you anywhere in today. But your husband, Professor Dorman... He disappeared... I beg them not to go near the ruins. That temple is filled with ancient ghosts and murderous invaders. Murder? You mean Professor Dorman is... No, no. It's my sister, Hector. Three days ago, we found her dead. Crushed to death by huge stones. There in that place. Your sister was here with you? Yes. Helping Herbert in his search for the origin of the Chinese alphabet. But I... I thought you were Professor Dorman's co-worker. Yes, but Hector wanted to help, so I stepped aside. You see, when my husband and I reached India... We found Hector waiting for us. We were astonished to see her. Hector, how did you ever come to be here? And you'd... To meet you and Emily. But why, Hector? We're going to the best. And so am I. That's why I came. Oh, no, you're not, Hector. You caused Emily and me enough trouble. Herbert, she's my sister. I do believe Herbert's afraid of me, Emily. I'm not afraid of you. But I am afraid of the bad luck you always bring. I want to show you that I've changed. I want to go to Tibet with you and Emily. So she came. About three nights ago, she went to the temple alone. She didn't come back. We found her dead. And now my husband, it's after midnight. And he's been gone for hours. The coolies won't go near the ruins and I'm deathly afraid to go alone. Well, come along. He may be still alive. There's not a moment to lose. There's a path, Mr. Benson. How dark it is. Now stay close behind me. If two people have been killed in this place, we... Herbert! It's Emily Herbert. Where are you? Uh, in this darkness, the temple seems alive. I beg you not to violate this fire. There's a force here, Mr. Benson. Something evil. Uh, come along. Wait. Where shall we find my sister? Herbert! Answer me! It's Emily Herbert! Mr. Benson! Look! In the beam of the light. <gasps> He's dead. Struck down by that pillar of stone. No, don't go near him, Hector. Why? You call me Hector? You and your sister looked exactly alike, didn't you? Yes, but... Then you are Hector. I know you are, and you murdered Professor and Mrs. Dorman. What was the clue that brought Benson to the startling deduction? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... 
Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Trudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. And now, back to our five-minute mystery. You plan to pose as Mrs. Dorman, to take his body back as proof of death, and live the rest of your life a wealthy woman. Now, come along. I'm taking you to the American Negation. You see, if you had been the real Mrs. Dorman, you wouldn't have said what you did. So, it may interest you to know that Chinese language has no alphabet. Captain Kidd is an American adventure film not remotely based on the adventures of the real <laughs> Captain William Kidd. Thank and you. <laughs> and stars Charles Lawton, Randolph Scott, and Barbara Brighton. It is the last film directed by Roland V. Lee. The pirate William Kidd, played by Charles Lawton, loots and destroys an English vessel, the Twelve Apostles, and the waters off Madagascar. He and four others go to bury the treasure in order to reclaim it later. The four men start to turn against Kid, resulting in one of the men's murder. The other three fall back in line and they bury their fellow sailor along with the treasure. Later, Kid has returned to London and hires a gentleman's gentleman to coach him in the ways of the aristocracy, so he can present himself to the king as an honest shipmaster to gain a royal commission as a privateer. He convinces the king that the captain of the Twelve Apostles, Lord Blaine, had turned to piracy and forced Kid to strike his colors. He asks that his reward for a successful mission of of escorting a vessel loaded with treasure through the pirate-infested waters of Madagascar is the lands and title taken from Blaine. He recruits convicted pirates to man his ship with a promise of a king's pardon upon their return. One of the men, Adam Mercy, played by Randolph Scott, impresses Kidd with his mannerisms and intelligence. The fact that he's a master gunner doesn't hurt either. No more does a ship leave port that kids' real plans of treachery and piracy emerge. This is the second time Charles Lawton has been subject has been a subject on the show. We saw him and his evil machinations in 1939's Jamaica Inn. And just for just a quick reminder, he is an English actor who portrayed everything from monsters and misfits to kings. Among Lawton's biggest film hits were Mutiny on the Bounty, Jamaica Inn, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Big Clock, and Witness for the Prosecution. Randolph Scott was another well-rounded actor who was a leading man for all but the first three years of his career. He appeared in crime dramas, comedies, musicals, adventures, war films, and a few horror and fantasy films. And countless westerns. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're getting to it. But he may be best connected with the westerns, accounting for 60 of his 100 film credits. Now, the real Captain Kidd was a Scottish-born sea captain and did indeed have experience as a pirate. Kidd was a member of a French and English pirate crew sailing the Caribbean under Captain Jean, Jean Fanton. Sounds right to me. During one of their voyages, Kidd and other crew members mutinied, ousting the captain and sailing to the British colony of Nevis. There they renamed the, 
the ship Blessed William and Kidd became captain either as a result of election by the ship's crew or appointed by the governor of the island. The Blessed William became part of the small fleet assembled to defend Nevis from the French with whom the English were at war. After his ship was stolen by another pirate, Kidd settled in New York where he met and married a very young and very wealthy widow, Sarah Bradley Cox Ort, giving him a very easy introduction to the socialites of the day. In December of 1695, Richard Cody, first Earl of Bellamont, mm-hmm. I believe, and I could be getting all these pronunciations wrong, who was governing New York at the time, asked the quote-unquote trusty, trust, trusty and well-beloved Captain Kidd to attack all who associated themselves with pirates, along with any enemy French ships. His request had the weight of the crown behind it, and Kidd would have been considered disloyal to refuse. A new ship, the Adventure Galley, was constructed, and Kidd personally selected uh, selected the crew who he deemed to be the best and most loyal. In September of 1696, Kidd weighed anchor and set course for the Cape of Good Hope in southern Africa. A third of his crew died due to an outbreak of cholera, and the brand new ship developed many leaks, and he failed to find the pirates whom he expected to encounter off Madagascar. Kidd became desperate to cover the cost of the expedition, yet he failed to attack several ships when given a chance, including a Dutchman and a New York privateer, both being out of bounds of his commission. Some of the crew deserted Kidd the next time that the adventure galley anchored offshore. Those who decided to stay on made constant open threats of mutiny. In January of 1698, Kidd raised French colors and took the Quedec Merchant, an Indian ship hired by Armenian merchants, It was loaded with satins, muslins, gold, silver, and valuable silks. When news of his exploits reached England, officials classified Kidd as a pirate. Now, there is so much more to his story, and I can't take up the whole show with it, but I wanted to hit on some of the points that I thought uh, seemed to be the inspiration for the events we see in this film. And I hope I didn't steal much of your thunder. I'm... I it was just thinking you're probably going to come to this with all kinds of. Uh... <laughs> I usually, yeah, I usually dig a little bit. No, I you, I think you hit a lot of the highlights. Um, I, I have a couple of things I want to talk about after we get through the movie that specifically have to do with the end of the movie. And uh, anybody that knows anything about pirates can probably guess at the end. <laughs> so I don't think we'll be you know sh- sh- spilling too much. Uh, too many secrets by talking about it, but I will wait at least until the end of the podcast to talk about those. Okay, excellent. This is a first-time watch for me, for sure. This seems like one of those films that you probably grew up with. <laughs> you know, you would think so, because I, I was raised on Captain Blood and the Sea... Uh, <laughs> the Seahawk. I just almost called it something else. Oh, gosh, and... Um, oh, there's that great one with Tyrone Power. Somebody is gonna Somebody's going to comment and tell me, what was that great one with Tyrone Power, the Black the black something it's not the black pearl and i don't think it's the black swan great great movie i was gonna though. go with swan but okay it might be the black <laughs> swan i don't think it is though um but yeah there yeah my my dad was a big pirate movie fan well my dad was a big swashbuckling movie fan is he's still there hi dad uh, <laughs> and so we you know it yeah, is I the heard, black swan i thank you the black swan great movie oh by the way if you haven't seen it it's not out of out of copyright but so much fun such a fun yeah, movie i believe 1942 or 45. I see two different dates here. It's, so I uh, think it's 45. Yeah. <laughs> but the one with her own power, easy to find. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you would think this would be one that I grew up watching, but this is actually weirdly doesn't focus as much on the dashing, handsome young rescuer of maidens as the other ones do. So it was not in my repertoire. Um, I know we watched this some months ago. I think we kind of uh, ran across it at home and watched it just to see what it was about. And uh, I think I suggested it at that point. We put it on the list. But no, this was not a movie that I grew up watching. And I have to be honest, I I had a moment at the beginning where I thought that Randolph Scott was Gary Cooper. And I, <laughs> they, they don't look dissimilar, but it quickly realized, of course, that it's not Gary Cooper. But um, I, I don't know that I've seen a lot with Randolph Scott. And so it, it's interesting that these, you know, of course, you know, we've we've seen other movies with Charles Lawton. We've seen other movies. Oh, my gosh. John Carradine is in here. Um, there are a whole bunch of different actors in here that are all over the place. Um, Jimmy Dime 
was one that I ran across that has been in just, you know, but bit parts here and there where you see him and you're like, I've seen that guy in something. So this movie is just chock full of people that were all over Hollywood during this period. Um, but not, not a movie that I knew well. And I think probably because the focus is on this very aggressive, very evil, scheming, um, backstabbing, just horrible, horrible guy, you know, as William Kidd is portrayed in this movie. He is portrayed as pretty much the worst person you can imagine. He's basically the devil. So, <laughs> like, certainly, certainly has all the characteristics there. But, um, you know, so, so it's kind of, I think they pulled in this story, like not unsimilar to other movies we've watched recently. They bring in Randolph Scott as Adam Mercy and they bring in Barbara Britton as Lady Anne Dunstan in order to have something besides a very grim, very murderous movie. You have to have some romantic interest to to kind of wet the whistle of audiences at this time. So yeah, not, not a movie I grew up with as a child and one that I have to... I. I think the first time we saw it, it was in color. And then the last couple of times I've watched it, I did watch it in black and white. For some reason, I liked it more in black and white. <laughs> uh, it felt more more authentic. So, um, yeah, yeah, not, not a movie I grew up with. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know there was a colorized version out there. I've only seen it in black and white. There is a slim possibility that we watched a different movie about a different pirate (laughs) (laughs) in color. And I thought it was the same movie. The funny part is I don't remember this. So when I rewatched this film in preparation for this podcast, I liked it a lot more than I had liked the other movie that I watched. So if you guys, yeah. So if you're looking for the colorized version, I could just be a nutcase. (laughs) It could be that I watched a completely different pirate movie and that I just thought it was this movie, but it was some months ago. So if you find a colorized version and you find that it's not as good as the black and white version, I'd love to know why. Now I'm going to have to go dig around and see if I can find the version we watched before. I I just happened to read this little bit of trivia here. You're talking about the black swan. Apparently uh, the boat that was used in the black swan is actually reused in this film. Oh, interesting. Okay. That, that actually doesn't surprise me for obvious reasons, (laughs) but that is interesting. That's not something I even thought to look up. Oh, I feel like I failed. <laughs> I would be very curious to know more about the production of this. How much of it was... I, I just can't imagine them building, like, a full sail. When they say a boat that's been built, I'm like, what do you mean by that? You couldn't have <laughs> built an entire probably. ship. I would imagine... I mean, you know, they did a... What did they do? A, a half or a quarter scale Titanic for... Titanic. I just found the color version. I'm not a crazy person. (laughs) There is a colorized version on YouTube. I don't know. I believe that it was privately colorized. So based on the description, that's what I'm seeing. I'd love to know more about the production and how they did this, especially when you see some of the ship and the ship battles where you can tell by the water that they're, they're miniature. Well, I'm going to say miniature. Sure. Miniature for in, in, in that they're not entire, you know, giant ships Mm -hmm. but they're probably still as big as a small car in some cases (laughs) yeah yeah Um. Uh, because it's actually all done incredibly well they were a master at doing the the what maybe one-eighth size uh ship battles Mm -hmm. yeah i agree It, it what's funny is until you mentioned it i never thought about it I mean, I've watched this movie now three times, once in color. (laughs) At no point did I think, at no point while watching it in black and white for sure, did I think, oh yeah, this isn't, these aren't real boats. Which is really funny. There's this really intense uh, lagoon battle that's supposed to take place uh, uh, with the Twelve Apostles at the very beginning of the movie. Lots of smoke, lots of cannons going off. And of course, I don't, you know, you don't sit there thinking, oh, these are real ships. Not now, not these days, we don't think that. But, um, um, but it also n- didn't cross my mind. Oh gosh, that's so obviously models. Oh, that looks so bad. <laughs> the only thing that I that I see that really stands out to me that makes them look like not full size is the water. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can't scale 
water. Wa- yeah. <laughs> it would be very, very difficult to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I never really that's thought about the, it. But that's the only indication that these aren't full-size ships. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. But other than that, they're just amazing small reproductions. So now I have to think, okay, so at one point there's a scene where a kid is preparing a murder and he's fiddling with a miniature ship. I wonder if that's one of those ships. Oh, what? I hadn't thought about that. Like, ding! I just thought of the thing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be interesting? That would be some fabulous, uh, some f- fabulous trivia if it turned out that were the case. But yeah. and I will, t- will also say that the director and the cinematographer of this film, what they do is they manage to make it so you don't think about whether these are real ships because yeah. they do things, tricks of the cameras and tricks with light to give you the indication that they're on the sea. They are Mm -hmm. on a rolling ship. Mm. Uh, There is a scene when uh, Mercy is teaching the gun crew uh, Mm -hmm. how to, how to fire the cannon. And he's saying that, you know, if, if you shoot when the, when it's on the down roll, you'll. It's a matter of judgment. If you fire on the up roll, the shot will go over his yards. But if you wait for the down roll and the enemy is coming up, now watch. Get ready. Pretty shot, Mr. Mercy. Can you do as well with a 74 throwing grape and canister at you? I've done it, sir. I can't imagine they actually had to set on a gimbal, so I have to think it was some sort of camera trick. Mm-hmm. But you see the boat sort of looking like it's it's rising up, and just as it starts to come down, that's when they fire the cannon and they mm-hmm. hit the target. Mm-hmm. And there's another scene, well, several scenes that take place inside the captain's quarters or mm-hmm. in the main cabin. Yeah. And they're discussing and talking things, and it's very subtle, but you look in the back, you see the shadows on the wall going up and down wow. as if the sun was coming the window and the and the ship was rocking wow wow that is fat. like i didn't even notice that i'm actually very yeah. impressed now i have to go back again and watch it a fourth time maybe in color <laughs> maybe in black and white <laughs> yeah i noticed the shadow first and then it was then the set on the second watch is when i noticed how they they did it with the uh, with the canon scene it was like mm. they really pull you in into mm-hmm. thinking this is a real ship and, and we're and, on the sea. And that's the direction that we, when we say it's just poorly directed, <laughs> like it's so hard to, to qualify that unless you have gone to directing school, unless you know how to do all of those things and are thinking about that constantly, it's really hard to qualify that and to say, well, you know, the scene in this jail would have felt a lot more real if, you know, when people were walking by, the shadows in the background had reflected the bars in front of it. We don't think about that kind of thing. Our brains notice it, but we can't usually verbalize it. But what you're saying is exactly the perfect explanation of how you get that good scene direction. That really, really great cinematography is when you're thinking about that level of detail, when you're thinking everything that's in here has to reflect what nature would do if you were actually filming nature. And that's what's so hard to do. That's where so many directors, you know, miss out is they forget those nuances of things mm-hmm. that you can't control. Like you said, like the water, like the tide, like the rolling of a ship. Or when a uh, kid rigs the sail, pulls the rope, causes like, I forget which sail, something to, to fall. Top sail, I think, yeah. The top sail uh, to fall to in order to try to mm-hmm. eliminate one of his uh, co-conspirators. Mm-hmm he's down in his cabin and he's listening to everything hit the deck above him. And if you look, the things hanging on the wall are vibrating from the, Oh, now now I have to go back and watch it again. (laughs) I just have to go back and watch it again. It's an amazing (laughs) level of detail that of things that you, you don't need to do. Mm -hmm. You didn't need to do that, Mm -hmm. but because they did, I'm in. Yeah. I am a hundred percent into this film, and and people that aren't thinking about it are accepting it without even without even a second thought. Uh, right, you know. Again, these are the things that are hard to capture. That are the things that throw us off when they're not there, 
and when we are and when they are there you shouldn't notice it good direction is virtually unnoticeable because it feels so real there's so many moments in this film that are exactly that mm. yeah talk about some of the actors and we've mentioned kid charles lawton yes he is oh the worst kind of evil <laughs> but god i have to admit at the end it was kind of like I kind of want him to get away because oh. I want another film. Uh, <laughs> I want to see more Captain Kidd. I love He's brilliant, isn't he, he? He is. And I loved that he's probably the most, the one of the reasons he's so awful is because he's so subtle. There's a moment where he's talking to Povey, uh, John Carradine's character. And uh, it's pretty early on when they've reconnected. My heart bleeds when I think of one of your delicate constitution having to fend for yourself on a coral reef, Mr. Pope. Come off it, Captain. I know why you marooned me. It was so there'd be only three of you to share instead of four. It's true. A hostile wind did blow us away from oh. your reef. Between friends, we might have sailed back at exactly what you would have done, Mr. Povey. So no more of your sentimental nonsense, please. Now that we are four again, what then? We're not four. We're two. Boyle and Lorenzo, dull clods. Twenty thousand pounds apiece in their hands would only be spent in sinful ways. And you propose to remove them from the path of temptation? How? A knife in the dark? I'm not a violent man, Mr. Povey. I detest violence. People have such an awkward habit of getting in my way. I am an ambitious man, Mr. Povey. And an ambitious man, if he be bold enough, can carve himself a kingdom. I'm going to be a lord, my friend. And that, for a commoner like myself, takes a deal of money. And that's why there could be two less to share before we raise old England again. You cold-gutted shark. Oh, a flatterer. Oh, I'm glad you're back again, Mr. Povey. You've no idea how gratifying it is to have a congenial soul to confide in. Thank you. Oh, there's something I want to tell you. I have left with a trend a sealed letter containing an exact and complete account of certain previous happenings, only to be opened in case, just in case, of course, you should happen to return to England without me. Of course, my dear fellow. Very sensible of you. Now I know you'll have a Happy voyage. I shall too. And then Povey leaves the room and, and Kid just sits there for a moment and is, he just still kind of has this like placid smile on his face. But there's the slightest alteration where you can tell he's just livid. Mm -hmm. And it's so excellent. It's so, he doesn't stand up and throw stuff around the room and stomp his feet. It's just... You know, and they carry on that scene and he does a couple of actions afterwards. But that moment of him just continuing to sit at the table and it's almost like he's like taking a deep breath, like, OK, don't lose it. You're going to handle this. <laughs> You're going to find a way to get rid of this guy. But he's just so oh, he's so subtly evil. It's beautiful. Charles Lawton is like a king of subtlety. Mm. There's another moment. Uh, when they've met up with the, the other ship, I'm kind of skipping all around on the film. <laughs> They meet up with the other ship. They've arranged to transport some things from one ship to the other ship. So they're back on the, on the um, what's their name of the ship? The Adventure Galley? The Adventure Galley, mm hmm They, of course, accidentally kill the other... Uh, oh, the, the uh, ambassador. The ambassador, thank you, which is uh, Lady Anne's uh, father. Mm -hmm. And she, she's, she's aghast, she's at horror, and she turns back to Kid. And his face... There's just that split second that he doesn't cover himself quick enough mm -hmm. where he has this like, and it, it is almost imperceptible, this look of smugness. Mm -hmm. And then his face goes into, oh, 
you know oh, what a tragedy what a mm-hmm. tragedy but it's it's just long enough to pick up the, and it's like oh, mm-hmm. that is so good i i i think there are many actors that would completely fail at being as subtle as he is in and that overdo it there's mm-hmm. I, I think there's a there's a moment of direction here too where i think you have to you have to again nod to the director where uh, you know after that happens, Lady Anne sees it happen like right as the mm-hmm. right as you know the rope quote breaks unquote you know you know the thing it lets loose and swings across and hits her father down into the boat below, and she she doesn't do what you would see in so many movies at the, especially at this time period, but even now where they scream dramatically and then rush to the end edge and scream, father, father, that kind of thing. She just rushes forward and then turns back and just has this look of horror and looks like from each person around her. And you can see it dawning on her. I am literally in deep crap. Like mm-hmm. this is not what I thought it was. And I, I think, yes, there's good acting there. I think there's also exceptional direction because a lot of directors would over-direct that and tell her, oh, you're distraught. You just saw your father die. Let's see real tears. But right. there's more depth in the just terror, like the freezing terror of I am literally, so, I have nobody I can trust right now. And uh, the, so it's. I think it's, exceptional casting exceptional directing on both sides of this and if it is funny i feel like most of the really excellent parts come from these two the really good reactions and they're really definitely from charles lawton heavily he's heavily featured in the movie but there are several moments where barbara Britton delivers oh absolutely uh there's moments that aren't so subtle with charles lawton as well they finished burying the treasure Oh, his eulogy. And <laughs> in the beginning of the movie, and he, he, he pulls all the guys to get back together. Like, oh, we should say a few words. And he ends it, rest in peace? <laughs> <laughs> he makes it a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Mm-hmm. I love, so... too, they start to walk off and he says, are we such call- something like, are we such callous rogues that we would leave one of our brethren without saying words over him? And yeah. he's the one that just shot him. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this guy. His, his almost what's the most terrifying about him is his changeability. His, uh, yeah. his swings from just cold-blooded murder to, oh, no, we have to say something over this guy's well, body. We're gentlemen. Right. Is, well, ugh. to say something over his body, but more or less to get the last word, because he's yes. like, yes, through through treachery, he ends up here under, you know, yeah. in the <laughs> So when, when he kills his, uh, uh, the first of his other officers that he kills once, Mercy and, is on board, and then he says, let's, uh, you know, the topsail falls, and he sa- he's saying words over him, and it's this insult after insult, and it's, there's, again, kind of that subtle kind of like, I kept waiting for uh, Adam, for Randolph Scott's character, uh, or somebody to kind of give like a, what? What is he saying? Like, he's supposed to be saying kind things about this guy, not that, you know, that he says the might of orphans and the gold of rich men both reached his pockets, <laughs> he says about the, the guy who he's killed. And he's just saying these like awful things about him. And, it, and it's, it, there is kind of a little uncomfortable shift in the people around him, like, because uh, they're ostensibly really believe that they are privateers for the king. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of subtlety in this film that I really appreciate as well. Pop them over, boys. Pop them over, boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to have them say that, like, in mind. <laughs> Just be like, okay, pop her over. <laughs> <laughs> there is no one in here that isn't a treat to watch. It's a relatively small part, despite the fact that it's King William III, Henry Daniel as the mm-hmm. king, I think, is brilliant. I just recently watched him in uh, The Body Snatcher. Oh. Uh, with uh, Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Brilliant film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not public domain. Boy, yeah. would I like to talk about that film. <laughs> How many are there that we would love to talk about that aren't? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was brilliant in that. He's he's fantastic as the king in this. I really mm-hmm. enjoy him. John Carradine, uh, you know, oh, very yeah. young John Carradine. <laughs> Is fantastic is uh, Orange Povey. Mm-hmm. Is it or Povey? Excuse me. I, w- I want to talk about Shadwell. 
I oh yes, we you have, have to, talk. to know Shadwell is going to be one of my personal favorite characters. Yeah. Reginald Owen is uh, is Shadwell, the gentleman's gentleman, mm. which is pretty much where I live in my fantasy world. Not necessarily as a gentleman's gentleman, but yeah, you know that whole. That level of, <laughs> I, I love everything about him teaching uh, or telling kid. If a gentleman's a gentleman, he's a gentleman. That's all there is to it, sir. I'm one of nature's gentlemen, but I need polish, my good man. If I'm to improve myself. A gentleman employs the terminology, my good man, only when addressing lower servants or his inferior, sir. You see, that's why I need you. My upbringing. The gentleman never sucks his teeth, sir. Many a man's social career has been ruined by lesser. You seem to know your business. I want the best mine and I can pay for it. Hundred quid a year. An infallible mark of the person of quality is his reluctance to pay his domestics high wages. Don't say so. Merely an idiosyncrasy of good breeding, sir. Sixty quid a year, then? You realize I've never been on board a ship before, sir. Oh, don't let that frighten you. To the contrary. In fact, since I was a nipper, I've had rather an adventurous inclination toward life on the bound in Maine. It should be quite educational, sir. You'll learn a lot, no doubt. Is it a bargain, then? Very well, sir. <laughs> <laughs> William Kinsel, 60 quid? I, I love... All of his are so polite, you know. Uh, a gentleman would never... Would only refer to a lower servant as my good man, sir, you know. Everything that he comes back with. And then I love... There's a moment when they're on the ship. They've been joined by Adam Mercy. And he... Rec- and Shadwell recognizes Mercy as an actual gentleman. Mm-hmm. And he's sent out by Kid to find out who Mercy is. And he... Foggy night. Good evening, Shadwell. Excuse me, sir, but you seafaring men always seem to be looking at something that I never can see. We are looking for something just over the horizon. You know, sir, I recognized you for a gentleman the moment I saw you, sir. What are you, a valet, doing at sea? The captain employed me to make him socially acceptable, sir. I'm afraid we are too far out for me to swim back. But if I can be of service to you, sir. Did the captain send you here? Yes, sir. Why? He wants to know who or what you are, sir. Who do they think I am? Possibly a spy placed on board by His Majesty. They seemed uneasy, sir. Hmm. This, uh, this Captain Kidd, how long have you known him? Have you sailed with him before? Oh, no, sir. All I know is he's, uh, well, among other things, a merchant captain. A spy? That's strange. Why should they be afraid to be spied on? Good night, Chuck. Good night, sir. <laughs> and you know he's not saying literally, I can't swim back. He's saying there is no hope for this guy. He cannot be made a gentleman. No matter how long I taught him all the rules, he will never be he'll never behave like a gentleman. He'll never understand. Mm-hmm. I love the nuance in that line. But everything about him, he's so, he's, he, at one point, kid says, uh, is it, is it proper for a gentleman to sneak up on another gentleman without announcing himself by clearing his throat? And Chadwell says, I'm not a gentleman, sir. I'm a gentleman's gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so proper and everything that, the way that he behaves through all this is so fascinating to me. You guys must know by now how much I love manners and how much I love propriety, all those all those things that we don't have anymore. I love them all. And so, and Shadwell embodies them perfectly. And his performance through this whole thing is exactly what you would think that a gentleman's gentleman would have been in this era. He's just delightful to watch. You mentioned Randolph Scott as Adam Mercy. Mm. Uh, we discover that Adam Mercy is not his real name. He's apparently been sort of living undercover. Yeah, for years. tooling around with pirates. Yeah. <laughs> All, all trying to figure out who murdered his uh, his father, you know, and Lord Blaine. And his name, yes. Maybe there was another way of going about that. I don't, I'm not really sure about how solid his plan was. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, there is the real imminent threat of being hanged for piracy. He is actually in Newgate Prison when we meet him. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm with you. I feel like there may have been a better... I, bearing in mind, though, that his family and his family's lands have now... His name and family lands have been forfeited. Mm -hmm. But early on, we established that kid asks very directly to the king, uh, have have Blaine's lands and uh, holdings been forfeited? And if that's the case, I humbly ask to be given them. And so if that's the case, then then he genuine, then Blaine, a.k.a. Mercy, really might not have another option. If he and his family have been thrown out of everything by the king because his father was accused of being a pirate, he this might be the the best option he can think of to get around. Uh, he, it's very likely that if his father was declared a pirate, he wouldn't have had a lot of people in high positions willing to help him figure out what happened. Most people would have very, in, very intentionally distanced themselves from the family. So yeah, this may have been like an all or nothing. He's either going to find to get the murderer or die trying. Yeah, I think there's a, a large dose of of uh, romantic fantasy used to write this character. Most mm -hmm. people don't go to that lengths because we just don't do that. Humans, humans are all about self-preservation. <laughs> we, right. and yes, family honor was a big deal back then, but I, I, you know, this is a purely fictional character. Um, and actually I couldn't even find anything about any ship called the 12 apostles until the 1800s. I tried. I looked and looked and looked, and there's <laughs> no basis for it. I mean, there's basis, but there's was no real ship called that. I couldn't find anything about a Lord Blaine, anything like that. So this is just completely fictional, made up, as is, of course, uh, Lady Dunstan and and so on and so forth. Right. But um, I I think that in writing this this character, they just decided, you know, we've got this bloodthirsty pirate guy. And we want to just make him look as bloodthirsty as possible. Well, you have to have a protagonist to counterbalance that antagonist. And so they just came up with a guy that was in it for his family's honor because that was basically the exact opposite of Kid. And it made sense to the storyline, but is very, very, very fictitious. <laughs> and I think yes. the extents he's going to are just that. Yeah, no, I agree with you, especially you know, the romanticized version, because if you're going to pretend you're not of a, of a particular family in order to try to find who besmirched your family name and everything. Maybe you shouldn't be wearing the family crest medallion. Maybe, maybe just don't wear it under your clothes. Also, didn't he have a bath early on in the movie? What did he do with it then? Did, did he have it in Newgate Prison with him? I highly doubt it. Well, I apparently he think... did. I think during the bath, his uh, one of his friends or whatever actually sees it and purposely turns it around uh, for him so no one else spots gold it gold medallion right they're not gonna let him keep that in new it's just so heavily fictional so mm -hmm. I, it serves the purpose of the story and the narrative it does not serve the purpose of any form of history whatsoever but we already knew that going into it yes yes exactly <laughs> an actor i wasn't familiar with is gilbert roland is jose lorenzo mm-hmm the very slimy <laughs> skeezy. Lorenzo, skeezy yes. Lorenzo, but he's, he's such sniffing a good... after Lady <sighs> Anne the whole as soon as he spots her. He's such a good masher, which is what they would have called them back in the day. Uh, that term comes from when there were streetcars and men would get on behind women and then squish up against them uncomfortably. That mm. is called a masher. He's such a good masher. <laughs> he's so creepy. And he's exactly the kind of guy that you can imagine being on the subway and he sneaks up behind you and stands entirely too close and breathes heavily on the back of your neck and, oh, he's gross. I don't, I don't think that the actor is this way, but the character as he plays it is every bit as, as skeezy as he's meant to be. He's... He's enjoyable to watch for the single reason that you really want him to get smacked down, and it's very satisfying when he does. I am asking you again, very nice, my dear Capitan. Your fancy manners do not impress me, Mr. Lorenzo. When do we divide the gold? In London, not before. Uh-huh. Then look, Capitan, I will make a bargain with you. A bargain? Everybody wants to bargain with me. You and Mercy? Fire and thunder, what do you think I am? A stinking sausage merchant? What kind of a bargain? The girl. 
All my life I have dreamed of a beautiful woman like that. Give me half of my dinero now, and you can split the rest between you. If you will let me have her. Fie on him. He's smit with love again. I want her, and I am going to take her. Whether I like it or not. Uh-huh. With all this treasure on board, the crew is like a barrel of hot gunpowder. All that is needed is a word in the right ears. Do you mean mutiny? You're a witness. He's inciting the crew to mutiny. <laughs> no, 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 Capitan. I was only joking. You have a very nasty way of joking, Mr. Lorenzo. As for the girl, I have my own plans for her, and they do not include you. Get out. <laughs> so you hmm. can tell he's a very deep person with deep oh, personal yeah. values. <laughs> I will have her. <laughs> Whether you agree or not. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I love too earlier. Uh, I, be I believe it's him that is every once in a while. A kid will say something and he'll just ask a question that's like a little bit dumb. <laughs> and, and it's like. I, I like how they round out his character as somebody that really, he really is just in it to live for the moment. He's not thinking about the future. He just wants to get his hands on a pretty woman and some money, and that's all that he cares about. But it, he isn't, he is, it's interesting that they cast him as a Spaniard. I wouldn't necessarily have gone, oh, this guy's a Spaniard. It's his, you know, except that they said he was. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on this. Why did they need a Spaniard on board? <laughs> he, he, he at least really was. He was a Mexican-born American uh, film and television star. Yeah, did so, he? I mean, maybe he had a heavy accent, and therefore they had to explain it somehow. That's what I'm saying is at least he was actually of Hispanic descent. <laughs> and not Italian. Okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny that they made such a point of him being, oh, and he's, and they mentioned it at least yeah. once, uh, that, oh, he's Spanish. <laughs> yeah, Latin blood or something like yeah. that, yes. Yeah, really very interesting. Sitting down and watching this film the first time, I was expecting a, you know, it's, it's a pirate movie. Mm -hmm. And so I was expecting, I think I was expecting a little bit more Errol Flynn kind yes. of sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And... This movie is not that. We do get, you know, one good sword flight, a sword fight mm -hmm. that goes through the, the ship. But it's not that kind of swashbuckling, um, you know, swinging from the, uh, from the mainsail or mm -hmm. anything kind of film. But I was not expecting to be this engaged and find this film as enjoyable as I did. Mm -hmm. Still, you know, I was looking for all the sword fights and the cannon fire and... That's not here, but yet, this is a great film. I yeah, <laughs> it really is. I, it, it hits all the high points. You've got the very bad guy. You've got the comeuppance at the end. Uh, kid really was hanged for piracy. And that is that and his name are the two points that they get right. <laughs> That's literally it. Uh, nothing else in here is accurate, except for the likely, the likely fact that he was a, I'm trying to think what's a nice way to say asshole. Uh, he was an asshole. So he was, yeah. he was a real jerk. They got some locations. They got some ship names. You know, they got the actual character name. They and got, Yeah. But, but the, the actions of it are completely off. And that was what I was putting aside until a little bit later. Uh, Kid actually only sailed as a privateer for a little over a year. Um, and and the, it turns out that the big mistakes that he made, he did have a commission from the king, that is true. The big mistakes he made were that he didn't stay where he was supposed to stay. He, so he had a commission to go to a particular area and hunt pirates, and he left that area. He went to a different area, which is uh, to, to the to north of Madagascar, which is not where he was supposed to go. He went to the pilgrimage route, and he started attacking ships there. Uh, he managed to capture at least one ship that was captained by an Englishman, Mm -hmm. Yet another problem, and then and then he actually captured a ship owned by uh, the East India Tea Company, the East India Tea Corporation Company. I'm saying it wrong, but that's you know who it is. It's the bad guys in all of the Assassin's Creed games, so, <laughs> and 
and which was the single most power that would be like capturing a ship from google now you just would be destroyed and so he captured a ship there and was taken back uh he actually went back by his own choice to boston was arrested by the person one of the people who had commissioned him interestingly uh by the same governor that you mentioned earlier and was held in prison for eight eight months while they sent to England to find out what to do with him. All this time, uh, he kept the French commissions that he had taken off of the other ships that he had taken. He had them in his possession. So, and he was a licensed privateer. They were, England was at war with France. So he was legally allowed to attack French ships. And if you're flying a French flag and you give a French uh, letter of commission, you are a French ship in this, it is according to maritime law at this time. So when he got back to, this is, this is the historical bit that I learned that I thought was really interesting. There's a little bit of back and forth on this. But when he got back to England, he provided those documents to the British courts, to the English courts, and then was later tried for murder, by the way, because uh, he did... He didn't kill all the people that it shows him killing in these movies, but he did actually kill one of his crew members with a bucket. Mm-hmm. Yes, you heard that right, with a bucket. And uh, and then he did, of course, capture these ships that were ultimately friendly to the English. And so when he was brought on trial for it, of course, the East India Company is there. <laughs> They're, you know, pressing charges. There's the the fact that he did at least commit manslaughter, possibly murder. Uh, by bucket and uh, and then when he goes to produce his documents showing that they had the French commissions on these ships he captured the documents are gone they're completely gone nobody can find them he had filed them with the courts and then when he goes to trial these documents are gone and so he's he said over and over during his trial if I could produce if I could produce my documents I would be let go I'm completely innocent I have documents to prove it so it turns out that, of course, he's got no documents. So he is uh, convicted of murder by Bucket. Uh, fascinating. Um, there's, there's a historian that covers that specifically. Yeah, in, you know, murder by Bucket is one of the most interesting, like, <laughs> premeditated murder by Bucket <laughs> is a heck of a thing. But then the other thing is he's, of course, convicted of piracy. So he's got two, uh, two death sentences. He's taken to be hanged. In the movie, they don't show him being hanged, but he was hanged. And in fact, the first time he was hanged, the rope broke. So interestingly, at this time, the courts had the, or the whoever was uh, conducting the hanging, I suppose you'd call it, would have the option to say, this is an act of God, this person goes free. And so he did actually have a moment where he could have been released, but they said, nope, double death sentence. He already had, he had two death sentences. If the rope had broken a second time, he might've gone free. The second time the rope didn't break. So he was hanged and then he was displayed. Uh, it, it probably the most gruesome and best known pirate to be his body to be displayed, you know, torn other pirates away. This is where I find it very interesting. So in 1701, Captain William Kidd was hanged for piracy and murder. In 1911, a historian is, or not a treasure seeker, not a historian, a treasure seeker is digging through the British archives and finds misfiled two French documents. Wow. (laughs) That actually are what Captain Kidd had showing that these two ships that he had taken were actually French vessels. So... 1911, 190 years later, somebody finds these documents. So the question now is, so was Kidd actually really innocent? No, no question. He was a jerk. He was mean to his, you know, to his subordinates on ship. He was poor at leading them. Obviously, there was a lot of talk of mutiny. He wasn't a great captain. He did kill somebody with a bucket. Was it on purpose? <laughs> was it on accident? You know, the the thing I was listening to, the guy says, yeah, a bucket's not what I would pick to murder somebody with if I was intending to murder them. I think that's a fair point. But the really interesting part is that he has these French commissions and then they just disappear when he goes to trial. And it's possible they were misfiled. It's also possible they were intentionally misfiled. But it's it's one of those it's one of those great 
mysteries of history that we'll just never really know because short of having kids account in his own hand saying, I'm going to be a pirate now, <laughs> you know, you, you can't, you can't sort that out. So, so really interesting. So of course this movie takes him and makes him this villainous, horrible person that intentionally captures friendly ships, blows them up, murders people, steals people's, you know, gold and intentionally commits, uh, um, crimes against the king and against the kingdom. But the story of him is potentially a little more nuanced i think there's uh there's some interesting different viewpoints about this and when you eventually learn okay yeah no the fringe papers that he had were found 190 years later in the wrong place in the british court system in the archives in the national archives of england it becomes this really exciting interesting question of you know, is this movie even more off base than it just being historically inaccurate? Is it actually slander against a person that was actually innocent? So now we get to the incredible pleasure of rating a movie, which we put no effort into making (laughs) (laughs) and telling other people if it's any good or not. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. I'm going to give this one a full five. I really do. I, 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 really thoroughly enjoyed it the acting in it is with only a couple exceptions fantastic i think uh what's his name randolph scott every now and again the sort of western star kind of comes through (laughs) there's uh, his like last line of the film you know i accuse this man of piracy and murder the way he says it is just (laughs) whoa it just it just jumps out little twangy (laughs) Oh, it sounds a little twangy, um, but other than that, I mean, that's pretty nitpicky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic film. Absolutely worth watching. Well, for me, I think you know, I have to, I have to preface this with the history of this is completely wrong, and we oh, know how yeah. much we know how much I love history. We know how much I appreciate you know the detail of costuming and actions and all of that. And those are really important to me. So when I say that this movie gets a five Othels from me too, you're going to understand it's really a very good movie. Uh, it, it is fantasy. It's based on, it's based very loosely on the life of uh, somebody that lived several hundred years ago and that we definitely don't understand very well. But if you can take that and wipe it all away... <laughs> And you just look at it as a movie about a pirate and about, you know, his comeuppance. You're exactly right. It's just, it's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. The action, as we've talked, the acting, as we talked about, the direction, um, setting, costuming. Costuming is the one thing that I would say, oh, it's really inaccurate. (laughs) Historical costuming (laughs) interest over here. But that aside, and we don't usually knock Othels off for inaccuracy in costume in period costuming i'm not gonna this time either because this is worth a watch if you're gonna if you're gonna pick of all the movies that we've reviewed one to watch this is in that top 10 for sure yeah this is one of those rare films that you wonder why someone why united artists or whoever had the rights decided uh don't bother with renewing that one well, it got misfiled in the British archives. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. They just missed it. Oh, was that due? Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but also, I'm thankful that it has, because that means it's so easily uh, available for people to go and watch and discover. And I'm mm-hmm. thrilled that we did that. <laughs> yeah, me as well. Yeah, it's so funny. I think... If I did, if this is in fact the colorized movie that I watched before, I think it's really funny that the first time I watched it, I really disliked it, but I felt like it wasn't, um, I I felt, I I feel like having watched it again in black and white, (laughs) I, I don't know what my expectation was going into it the first time, but talking about the story and about the characters in it, they're so vibrant in black and white. <laughs> they're, they're, they're so vibrant in this movie that it's definitely worth a watch. Well, I don't have anything else to say to you. I think we're all done with uh, Captain Kid. Yeah, definitely. We'll just leave this one hanging. Hang it out to dry. <laughs> I say I'm, we're done with Captain Kid, but this is definitely going to be a film that's going to go into kind of the, the occasional rotation that it's going to, I'm just going to sit down and 
I feel like watching Captain Kidd. <laughs> I have to watch it again just to notice, just to watch all of the details that you were pointing out earlier. Now that I know they're there, I I need to rewatch it to see them. Well, that will do it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any thoughts on this film, please go ahead and, like I said before, uh, write or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com or come on to any of the socials and leave a comment there. Lydia, thank you so much. I'm so happy. Like I said, I thought this would be a film that you would <laughs> have seen a dozen times before and I was so happy that you uh, got to experience it for the first time and enjoyed it as much as you did. Yeah, me as well. And as always, it's so much fun to talk about it with you. I loved watching the movie, but even having watched the movie and enjoyed it so much, it's so much more fun to talk about it with you every time. This is actually, I was just thinking, you know what? This would be a great film. This is the movie I want to watch with you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this would be a fun one to actually watch with you. Yeah. Ooh, wait, wait for this part. This is a great part. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next month. Bye. Bye.